This week's Into the Wilderness podcast, it is the final shows from Iwa, and uh, we had a lot of good feedback from last show that was Davy Hughes. We did, and, and actually the one just before yeah. that too, which was for, from Tomo. I'm going to be giving, bringing you a little bit of news from Tomo, was well, something that he fed to me just a couple of days ago, just in a moment. Yeah, so it's been uh, really, really, really positive. What are we going to be talking about today, Joe? Um, we are going to talk a little bit about the Highland Stalker, a little bit about the Rigby trip that was at Blair Athol that we were involved in filming with, and we will also talk a bit about the trip where Corbett's rifle ended up in India, um, and we that's with Mark. And then with Lisa, we talk a little bit about uh, her kind of early life and the conversation it was kind of just a general chat if I, remember I, right, I actually Lisa. do think she was a little bit hungover that morning do you think so? <laughs> yeah definitely what, listening back to it? no not, not, not listening back to it it's just that that she she's normally a lot more talkative than that <laughs> Um, I do have to apologise, it's not our fault, but during both of the shows, in the, in fact, I probably shouldn't say this to people because then they're going to listen for it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know anyway, in the, in the show with Mark, which is the first one, there is someone ferociously reloading a rifle in the background <laughs> for about 10 <laughs> minutes of the interview, and I have no idea why. Uh, but that's can you just what, hear them cycling. You, it? you can hear it cycling them over and At over. At least and over it's a again. nice cycle. It would be a Rigby that was being cycled. <laughs> it was. It was a Rigby, but I don't know anyone that's had to cycle a rifle that many times. And then we actually do explain in the back of the the one with Lisa, uh, we were sitting on the Browning stand, and only like ten meters away from us, there was someone engraving the rifle, so you mm. can hear like a ting 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 ting, and you'll hear that. But we do explain it during the show. Did they not start having a party halfway through that? At well? the very end, that. End End of the show. They had uh, a party at the end of the show where there was like dances and someone was throwing a shotgun around and yeah, it got a little bit crazy at the end. But it was a good way to end all of the the podcasts because I think Lisa was in fact the last show recorded. Yeah, it was, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and it, incidentally, we talked about the the trip to Svalbard and uh, talked about me going to see her in a few weeks' time. That's already all over with now. So um, we've been to Svalbard. We've been to Svalbard. I've been to Norway, seen her. We've been there and back. Um, so yeah, it's been. Uh, we've done a lot. We've done a lot. Uh, but it's a really interesting show. It's, um, it's some funny bits with Mark. Um, you also learn about some uh, things about them trying to give money to charity as well, which is quite interesting. That's towards the end of the the David show. David Hughes references that two weeks ago. Yeah. What you're talking about. Yes, um, uh, Mark explains it uh, a bit more um, with Rigby uh, raising money for uh, one of the national parks there for anti-poaching. But he'll go into it during during the show. So so with, that is what is coming up. Before we get to that, we've got um, a couple of things to talk about. Uh, one uh, I'm just going to get over with now, which is what I referenced at the very start, was Tomo, our uh, guest from four weeks ago now, I think, um, messaged me two days ago. And said, are you aware of what has been happening with African swine flu? Now, I remember having conversations with people probably about two years ago with regard to African swine flu making its way through Europe. Um, But he just told me that there has been a case which has been recorded in Hungary. 
and so and sent me a couple of links so I started to read up about it exactly what it is essentially it's um, an incredibly um, incredibly powerful virus it kills up to 90% of pigs um, which are infected with it it causes massive internal bleeding and fluid on the lungs to give you an idea of how hard it is to get rid of this, Spain had it in the 1950s. It took them 35 years to get rid of it. It's been recorded now in Poland, Latvia, Estonia, Ukraine, Russia, Romania, Czech Republic, and a whole heap that I haven't mentioned. So basically, Everywhere. Europe, it's coming. It's coming for us. Well, interestingly, but I haven't been able to actually confirm this solidly. I heard rumours that it was also in Germany. But, I mean, it, it's... It it makes perfect sense. Mm. Pigs don't. In fact, even if you did put up a physical border, pigs don't actually obey it. <laughs> well, they have a way of getting <laughs> yeah. underneath fences, don't they? Yeah. But the reason that we we bring it up on on this podcast, apart from just a bit of general knowledge of what is happening in the wider world, is that it is incredibly easy to carry. Um, it's been known that um, mushroom pickers have taken it. it nasal secretions, feces, think foot and mouth if you're from the UK and you can remember back to foot and mouth when I was just looking at some pictures now of them burning all the bodies of domestic pigs. That's the first thing it made me think of was when we had foot and mouth. Here. If people don't know what it is, because we've got a lot of, um, well, some people will definitely know what it is, but we had a, a really bad case of foot and mouth uh, for the listeners that aren't within the UK. I think it must have been 20 years ago. And I remember driving, well, I wasn't driving, I was very young at the time, down to the Lake District, and it was just field after field along the motorway with cows piled up, just burning. Yeah. I mean, it decimated the, the farming communities. But for hunters, um, blood is particularly infectious. So if you're a hunter and uh, you get blood on your clothes or it comes out the back of a pickup truck from an infected pig, you are going to be playing a role in helping that spread. So it's just awareness. If it's one of those countries, if you're in mainland Europe, basically read up on it and understand where it is and what you need to do, what part you need to play in trying to ensure that it doesn't uh, spread any further. So thank you very much, Tomo, for bringing that to our attention. And if, I hope that our listeners... Um, well, you know what? I think that's probably what you're about uh, to if, say. If there is any other things like that that comes across uh, you, you, what you see in day-to-day life, it can be anywhere in the world, send us an email. and We'll do a little bit of research into it and we'll spread the word because the bottom line is is that the more people that are aware of things that are going on in the world, there is a chance that, one, something can be done by it, but secondly, you can reduce the risk of spreading it if you are traveling to these countries yeah exactly so I, I think hunters are gonna play a really important role and, and I do hope that um, the different hunting organizations in these particular countries um, stand up and be responsible with regard to their advice because it from what it sounds like and reads like to me is that uh, it, it's crucially important that people understand this so uh, from that, moving on, we have our winner from two weeks ago, which was to win a Hornady reloading manual, the latest edition. Uh, we've had uh, quite a lot of picture entries. It was to we wanted to see what spring was to you, and uh, we had a picture which um, from Andrew Wilson, which was um, I'm going to give it to him because it wasn't really spring, but it was a picture of him standing beside a reloading with Rosie a cutout, and of course it was. Uh, the Hornady reloading manual that was up for grabs. So I thought that that was quite, that was quite smart. But thank you very much for everybody 
who entered a picture, it was nice to see what everyone else is uh, up yeah, to. Yeah, it was really, it was really cool actually because the the spread was huge. You got uh, people in their fields uh, planting, and then you've got you know people doing walks and doing very robux talking. Robux, yeah, so that it is quite varied throughout the country uh, what people are up to. Um, I think we already mentioned it before when we gave away free podcast stickers to all of our American listeners. Um, well, thank you again uh, from everyone from uh, the United States and Canada that emailed, and we had so many. Oh, I went to the post office. I've never posted that many things abroad before. No. Um, I think what we'll do because we we like sharing the love is this time we're going to give away some podcast stickers, but you have to be from Europe. So if you are from Europe, mainland Europe, then send us a message and you can have a podcast sticker for free. Not uh, the UK, because not, we've already done a UK giveaway. And we're also a way to leave Europe, European Union, so that <laughs> European Union countries that aren't leaving. This is our hand of friendship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to give some podcast stickers away. Uh, no set number. It'll just be... We'll see first how, come first yeah, serve. Yeah, first come first serve. We'll see how inundated we'll see, we are. Yeah. Like, like though in the US, we cut it off very quickly because we got that many... Um, emails through, uh, but we still sent out a lot of uh, stickers. But anyway, I, I know we've got a huge amount of listeners um, in uh, Sweden, Norway, and uh, Denmark. Uh, where else have we got some good it's listeners? Mainly the Nordic countries, mainly Nordic, Germany. Yeah, though. the Germans like to if you if you speak German, so they're they're sometimes a bit iffy. That's what we were told. <laughs> Even though you can all speak English, so we have another competition on top of our giveaway, uh, which is. We're actually going to run, not uh, over the over the internet like we normally do, which is essentially how you enter these competitions. Uh, but as our regular listeners will know, we are going to be at the Northern Shooting Show uh, next weekend. So the yeah, not this 12th weekend. And 13th. So not the weekend that the podcast comes out. But the weekend after so 12th is, and 13th yeah, of May. Yeah, there we go. Uh, if you're not going, you should be, especially if you're from the UK. I know there's some people actually flying, flying in from in. various parts yep. of the world to come as well. Got, we got, well, I think we said it before, South Africa and Denmark, we know we've got people coming in from. Yeah, we do, and um, Cyprus as well, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you have it. So, so yeah, there, there are people from all over, all over the world going, and uh, I know a huge number of people from the UK who are going. So get yourself to the Northern Shooting Show if you're not. But if you want to uh, have a chance of winning this week's competition, you're going to have to be at the Northern Shooting Show uh, because we are going to be giving away um, Tipton uh, reloading rod, uh, reloading rods, Tipton cleaning rods, and they're carbon uh, fiber. They're quite cool. And uh, Tipton gun vices, so for for cleaning your guns, so that you can it, it holds your rifle without damaging the stock. I'm sure you've all seen them before. We'll stick up some pictures on social media so you can have a look. And we are going to require you. What are we going to ask people to do? Come uh, and find us for a start. Well, you need to come and find us, and this is going to be to only people that have that have got podcast stickers. So if you're at the show and you've got it on your card, just take a snap of... Yeah, maybe your, your ticket beside the podcast sticker or something. No, or it was probably going to be on their car. Yeah, it? it wouldn't be. Yeah. So take a picture of it of, on the on your back of your car, or if you're not taking that vehicle to the show, take a snap of your vehicle with uh, the podcast sticker, and uh, we'll you can win. It's, it's first, first, come, it's first, first come, first serve. I think we've got... And if you are going to the show and you don't have a podcast sticker, there is still time to order one and get it to you in time. If you it will. I mean, I, I think what I would accept is if you listen to the podcast 
and you come to the tent, which we're going to be by the symposium area, uh, which is just off the main drag, and you go and buy a sticker and say, hang on, I'm also a podcast listener, so now I've got a sticker. I think we will accept that. Yeah. We will accept that because we will have podcast stickers <laughs> for sale along with all the rest of the stuff from our shop and our tent. So there'll, there'll be a few ways to there'll be a few ways to win, but uh, that, it's important that you you come and tell us I'm entering the competition. Do you have any of these left? Because I think I've got a cleaning rod at my house, so maybe we can There's take two, three cleaning rods, and two gun vices. Well, there we go. So there you go, five opportunities to win. I've just made biltong at my house for the first time. There was, you had a lot of comments on uh, of jealous was, people on Instagram. I it wasn't Instagram; it was just Facebook. No, I just, was it? it wasn't even a good picture. I just snapped like I. It was really dark because it was late at night. I hung up my meat, and uh, I don't think I've ever had that much interaction on <laughs> on a, a post before. And uh, what happened the week before? I went into. Um, I tried to get some. This is how crazy. This is how crazy this country is. Uh, it was a really warm weekend. I think a week ago, and everyone must have been barbecuing. And I went into the first store to get some meat. First of all, I tried to go to the butcher. That was closed because it was a Sunday. So I was like, I want to get some meat. So I went into another store. There was not one ounce of meat left on the shelves because of the everyone's barbecue. And the only thing they left, had left was the big joints of roasting, roasting. Um, what do you call them? Uh, like a roasting joint. Roasting joint. So I bought two of those and I thought, I'll just slice them up. really, And it actually worked really well having a big joint that you could slice. Because that's what they would do at the butcher. They would cut you long, thin yeah. strips anyway. Um, so I did that and I tasted my first piece last night and it tastes bloody good. The only thing I would say is I don't think I put enough salt in it. It's the first time is it I, as good as mom's. No, it's not because she's had years and years and years of, <laughs> of, of perfecting it. But, um, this is the first time I've ever made biltong on my own in my own house. And so I've got the biltong box and everything, but it is fantastic. The one thing I would say is you really underestimate how much coriander you need. So I need to buy like a bag of two kgs or three sack. kgs, a sack of coriander, and then also some salt and uh, pepper. But yeah, no, I think I think the first batch is. I mean, the bottom line is is that I could probably eat dried meat with no. Um, I could fill no my boots with that every day of the year. That I had dried moose heart for the first time oh, uh, like. when when I was in Norway. It was beautiful, and the more beers you had, the more the, it went down faster. Uh, no, it was it's sal- a little bit like built around the campfire, isn't it? It's salted. It was a salted uh, moose heart, and it was absolutely brilliant. It ba- it actually looked like when they shaved biltong, low into like super thin, into really thin slices, yeah. and it was super um, super moist, and they just had like. Th- not, I don't know. It wasn't really fat, but it had like. Well, maybe now you could you could try some roadier heart in your biltong box. I don't see why not. I mean, I had a few people message me asking if I had tried pheasant or partridge, and I don't see any reason why. I mean, they they make everything into biltong in Africa, so Pretty much, yeah. there's no reason why. We should pheasant, maybe we'll try some this season. Pheasant and partridge wouldn't work either. Even even rabbit would probably. I bet work. you pigeon would work. Well. Pigeon would work. It's. I guess the only thing is. I mean, it wouldn't be that, that think, much work. I think if you were doing rabbit, you'd want pretty thin strips that yeah, dried up would. quickly because the rabbit stinks. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> as problem. much as I like eating it, the thing that I have find with rabbit is that if I've cleaned a whole bunch of rabbit for the freezer or the fridge, I don't really feel like eating it that day because you can't <laughs> get the smell off your hands. I mean, you can wear gloves, but you always have it like clinging on your clothes. I always need like a day or two between sorting out rabbits and actually eating them. Uh, but... Share your recipes with us, your wild recipes, especially dried and cured food. I like dried and cured food. I, th- I find it interesting what different cultures do. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's true. I mean, you, when I was having the, the Norwegian stuff, it tastes completely different to anything mm. that I've I've had here. But they're very much into their 
they're drying out of not just meat. Well, it is meat, but fish as well, fish and... You've just reminded me that we, I can't remember what it was called, but when we were in Svalbard, we had that rehydrated cod. It's called kipfish. Kipfish, yeah. So they dry it. They they dry it out to to cure it and so that they can keep it for a long period of time. And then it's rehydrated and then cooked with really creamy. Really, but it was like fantastic. really like salty, but also like fresh tasting. But I think it has to be like it's almost instantaneous. So it's like within thirty minutes, it's processed and. Mm. Um, I actually managed to bring back a bunch of cod from Norway. Did you? Yeah, I did. Um, they they felt sorry for us how small our fish were. Honestly, those fillets that they gave me were the biggest fillets I've ever had. You cannot go into a store here and buy a piece of cod that size that they get over there. <laughs> I don't really understand why we don't have the cod sizes here. Do you think it's the fish, the, the food source? I think it's partly the food source and overfishing in the sea as it's well. It's only just across the ocean. Yeah. There's probably somebody who's uh, a seasoned or used to be a seasoned fisherman off the east coast of Scotland here who can tell us what has happened to the the fish stocks over the last thirty forty years. Yeah, but I, I know I, they're I, particularly cod. They they're they're back on the up, but they had massive declines and most like, of those Was there a time here? It's definitely not been in my lifetime that we used to have cod like they did in Norway, or has it never been the case? We've never had those size fish. We've never had the numbers. Well, but, I need to look into that. So if anyone knows, let us know because that would be quite intriguing. I think we had good numbers, but I just don't know about the sizes. Yeah, it'd be interesting because everything out. seems to be a big cod. Yeah, every, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Everything's big. Um, I swear I there was. was a, I swear there was something else I had to uh, uh, comment on, but I'm no. not. I wasn't sure. I, I'm getting my knee fixed you, you, fixed tomorrow. You need we'll, to write things down, though. I know, but I, I edit the show, and it's. Uh, I it, I like to just do things off the top of my head. Um, I'm, I'm getting operated on tomorrow when I record this, which is actually yesterday when it comes out. This is what happens when you record a podcast at different times. You time travel. <laughs> um, so hopefully I'll have a new knee by uh, the time this is, comes out. You're not. You're, you're making it sound a little bit like you're having a knee replacement, but you're not quite. Um, you've got my, lots of debris. My, my in knee your leg. isn't being replaced, but it will feel like a new knee hopefully. once it's done because it is. Um, yeah, I would like to be able to kneel on my knee again which is quite nice. Did you know as well, if you don't use your knee, uh, I, I'm, I'm walking and everything fine, but I, don't, I can't kneel on my knee. And there's one thing that you learn when you lose uh, the ability to do something is how much you actually have to do that. So kneeling is actually quite an important thing for day-to-day life. Mm. You know, it's simple things. You drop something, you kneel down, or you want to get under the car, or, you know, things like that. And because I can't kneel on my knee, it's really hairy. It's like four or five <laughs> times hairier than my other knee. Well, the thing is, I, suppose, I never really thought about this. Yeah. If you do look at the hair on your knee, it's always bristly, right? Yeah, because it's worn down yeah, because yeah. you kneel on it. So, and you're quite hairy anyway, yeah. so you found some of the so my, on my, your knee. My, you? my right knee, I could actually straighten the hair on my <laughs> left knee now. It's disgusting. I know it's disgusting, but it's it's one of those weird side effect things, isn't it? You don't I, use your knee and you get it goes hairy. You didn't think when you tuned into the podcast you were going to hear about hairy knees. No. <laughs> uh, as a as a, a complete um, detraction from Daryl's hairy knees, in about four weeks' time, I'm going to New Zealand. I am not. Sadly, Daryl's not. He was supposed to be because, because I've got because I've got hairy knees. Because of his uh, hairy recovering knees, he's uh, not coming. But I'm going to be going to New Zealand. I'm going to be with um, a gentleman called Joseph Peters from Hard Yards Hunting. If you go and check out Hard Yards Hunting on Facebook or Instagram, you'll be able to see the kind of stuff that he gets up to and the kind of stuff I'm going to be getting up to 
when I'm over there. I'm really well. I haven't had that much time to think about it because we've had so much going on recently. But I'm just starting to get in the zone now. I'm thinking about the clothes that I'm going to take and what I'm going to be packing and how to strip down the camera gear. So there will be um, there's going to be a film output from this, which is actually going to be. Um, I've just had confirmed the other day that w that is going to be loaded straight to our YouTube channel. We have barely put anything on, on our, our YouTube yep, channel. It is, yeah. Dal didn't even know that. Nah. So our uh, Into the Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness We should YouTube really channel. do like an update video on that, just to let everyone know we're not actually dead. Like the channel's not shut down. It's just that we've been making films for other people for two years. Yeah. Um, but this is, I mean, we're not going to be in this because I need to film it and Daryl's not there. Uh, but it, so it's going to be about Joseph. Uh, but we're, it's going to be on our channel. And it's going to be very similar to the sort of uh, feel and, and ethic of a lot of the other films that we've made. So I'm I'm quite excited about the prospect of actually presenting what, kind of one of our films again yeah. um, to everybody. So that's going to be exciting. And of course, there'll be lots of pictures and I will try my best to... I'm not quite as good as Daryl is at keeping everybody updated on social media, but I will do my best to make sure that I'm posting where and when I can. I just remember what I was going to say. I it's, it's been it's actually been crazy the last few months for us. Um, last week was kind of a, a blur for me because I I started going into like early morning and night shift mode. Um, I was doing some really really cool stuff with the German Game Conservancy uh, up in the the northeast of Scotland, and it's basically the first time that it's ever been used. But I've been using a, th a thermal camera on the bottom of a drone for looking at wildlife but in particular waders waders grouse um and it worked it, it took us a while to figure out how exactly it could be used but we were getting to the point where we could identify nests very easily within very large valleys um and i could even id how many eggs were in the nest and it, yeah so it's pretty cool project that we're working on and i hopefully will see some output from it at some point uh, i'm not i think it's a, it's a many years project that's going on yeah three or four years so it's it's pretty super cool. interesting though. it's super interesting and I, I would love to know how this kind of technology could be used for other conservation uh projects i mean the the wages thing is a big thing right now so it'd be pretty cool to see it being used a little bit more in these kind of ways yeah, right. That else? Yeah, I think I think we're that's it. Well, so make sure you come and see us, Northern Shooting Show. Yeah, Northern Shooting Show. Less than two weeks from when this podcast goes up, we mentioned it. I think two weeks ago, but as well as where we're going to be with our tent, there's going to be a massive symposium area and debates happening on the hour every every hour. Debates and discussions, and um, there's going to be uh, I think Thomas Jacks are going to be there, and they're going to be showing and demoing some equipment with. Um, you're actually going to be able to see like the output from thermal and and well, not night vision because it's going to be during the day, but outputs from thermal on a on a big screen, and there's going to be individual discussions and panel debates and stuff throughout all of the Saturday and Sunday. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be the whole show is going to be great because we know what it's been like from the previous years. But this is brand new. This has never been it done is. before. The, show, the, so. the team at the Northern Shooting Show every year they they really do improve on it, and we can see the amount of work that just goes into it. It's going to be a really good show. We can't wait to see everyone there. Um, please stop in and see us. We're going to have coffee on all day long, although yeah. we will be asking for a small donation for the coffee, and I'm talking small, anything you want. Yeah, whatever's uh, in your pocket. Whatever's in your pocket. It's going to go all go towards um, 
Woodcock Research for the GWCT. Yeah. So that's that's the the plan, but we'll also have our other stuff to purchase. But also, more importantly, it, it, not really the purchasing, it's just coming to see us, come and chill out, have a chat, and uh, we'd love to speak to people. So We absolutely will. And when the next podcast goes out, we will also be able to tell you, if you won't, don't know already from following us on social media, who the winners are of our... DNA Film Festival, the first hunting film festival to be held in the UK. It's it's crazy, and if if you ever thought about getting into, um, I was going to say photography, but it's film. Uh, maybe we can bring photography into it the following year. Hmm. Maybe that would be a good plan. Um, there, the prizes that are in this would make you want to at least try and take up the take up doing. And really, there's an amateur and professional. So even at, at an amateur level with a basic camcorder or even a GoPro you could probably make a good film if you think about it for us and and you'll see this if you go and visit the website uh, thepacebrothers.com and you click the DNA Film Festival you'll see like what the ethos of the film festival is and for us it's about great storytelling and if you've got a great story to tell you don't need a £30,000 red camera to tell it no um, you know it's just a, a good eye a sympathetic eye to what you're trying to capture and tell good stories because in actual fact and we, we've said this before is you can have really fancy gear and you can make a three four minute music video essentially of hunting where someone sticks a soundtrack underneath and they put a lot of pretty pretty imagery on top Any, that is not a, a good film anyone can do that anyone can do it so we want we want good stories and, and we have them because we have all the entrants. I've got the last film that's being entered. There's been a lot of entrants. It's yeah, it's it's going to be a a tough one actually calling who's who's winning. Yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to. People the have put us in a bit of a predicament <laughs> because we would actually like to give more people prizes than we c- can actually give. We were literally having a discussion <laughs> the other day. It was like these people all deserve something. They all do deserve but something. Not everybody can have. You know, not everybody can be a winner. No. Uh, but anyway, you will hear about that. We'll, we're going to try and, I think we'll try and bring you a podcast um, somewhat related to the DNA Film Festival. And in just f- like four, five days' time, Tyler Sharp, the man behind Modern Huntsman, is going to be sitting probably exactly where I'm sitting right now in the office. And we're going to be recording a podcast with him. The Modern Huntsman has been going out of the shop here. Uh, as far faster, faster actually than we, than we can stop. Yeah, we are. In fact, I'm after we f- we hit the the off button on this. I'm probably away to order another. I think hundred or two hundred coming in, because people are buying them so fast. Um, Which is great. Yeah, it's amazing. We're, we're really massive. Are. We've been behind it since well since it before it even existed in print form, and uh, we're both very excited to have Tyler here and talk about his plans for the future as well so if you have any questions we might even do a little live video or something when he comes next week or something yeah we'll try and do that uh, we'll try and do it and uh, if you have any questions for him shoot, shoot us over a message and I just thought of something because uh, we had somebody order one of the Modern Huntsmans a couple of days ago and they wanted uh, us to sign it and I sent them an email and said you know if if you want to hold on, hold off a week we've got them in stock Tyler Sharp's going to be here I will get it signed for you so if you don't already have a copy and you want to order a copy, uh, I can get Tyler Sharp to sign it. Yeah, but you. Um, but you, it would have to be in the next couple of days. One, so. you have to order in the next few days, and secondly, it's first come first serve because I'm looking at the, the our modern huntsmen that are in stock right now, and 
uh, judging by the rate that they're going at, it's not going to last very long. No. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you want, if you want us to do that, it is no problem. Just leave a leave it in the comments section when you place the order for a magazine. In fact, we sh- we might, maybe we could just get him to sign the lot of those. Yeah. Okay. We can get him to sign what we have here, uh, yeah. but still, first come, first serve. Yeah, once, exactly. once the pi- <laughs> once the pile's gone, then it's gone. We'll yeah. do that when he arrives. We'll yeah. Okay. Off. Well, we're gonna let you crack on with the show. It's. Uh, Great show, and uh, will join us again in two weeks' time. Mark, I can't believe that 12 months has passed since I sat in this exact sofa, and you sat exactly there at Iwa, and we were talking about the launch, the launch yeah. of the Highland Stalker. 12 months has passed. You've had some an amazing uptake on it. You've done some fantastic adventures with it, and we're actually looking at a film of one of the big uh, sort of releases this year at Blair Athol's just playing above us as we're doing this interview. What has it been like releasing The Highland Stalker last year to where we're sitting today, 12 months later? It's a roller coaster, I think, is the only way you can really des- describe it. But it's, uh, it's been an amazing 12 months. Um, the whole concept of the Highland Stalker was, you know, it was in our head for, uh, you know, the first couple of years after we returned Rigby to the UK, and we'd spent three years developing it to get exactly, you know, get the rifle we wanted, and to see it realised, and then in the marketplace, and it's been great at the show here. People coming up going, "Oh my God, that's the Highland Stalker!" Yeah, I saw that. Uh, like in uh, awe. Yeah, in awe of this thing, and, and to see uh, something from. You know, you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about it to a piece of metal and, and wood on a on a rack here at Ewers. Pretty crazy. No, I, I, it's one of the questions that we get asked quite a lot whenever we put up the odd picture uh, where the Highland Stalker appears in it. You always get questions. What is that? Yeah. If they don't know already. Yeah, yeah, and it, but it, but it's one of those sort of you know classic. Um, oh, Someone's phone there. Uh, yeah. Daryl, Mr. Podcast, not turning off his phone. No, it's you know it's 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 a classic look, and if, I think if you looked at that rifle fifty yards away, you would know it's a Rigby. You know, yeah. it, lo- it has that silhouette. It looks like a Rigby. Um, you know, and and. and I think whenever we've tried to be clever at Rigby's um, and we've tried to change things, it doesn't work. If you just stick with exactly, it's like the new, well, I don't want to, well, Land Rover Defender. It's, it's I mean, fine, you can I, do I've that. just said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, who knows? Maybe the new shape, people won't like it. But fingers people, crossed, fingers they, cro- stay, <laughs> yeah. they stay true to their origins. Yeah, but, the, you know, the, the, that classic design, and that's, you know, what we've done with um, all of the rifles that have done well for us at Rigby's. We've just essentially copied what the company did a century ago and it's what people want and that's why they buy into the brand. Mm. Uh, what was, explain this adventure that's play, they're playing above us here in Blair Athol. We've, there's which, been a lot of articles when, about when it. You, obviously we, we did the, the whole week and then you know, sit back the, the following week and you reflect on what, <laughs> what you just did. It was an incredible thing to pull off. Well, it, it, yeah, explain like how that, like how did, the, where was the seed? I think, like all all great British uh, ideas, it started down the pub. (laughs) (laughs) Simon and I, after a couple of beers, and we said, you know, like, fine. We'd we'd already launched this big game rifle, and the big game rifle, um, we we, we brought it out uh, to, you know, relaunch the company and build a bit of trust there with customers. That would, you know, let's be honest, that had been lost after what happened in America. But the the big game. rifle and the whole story that goes with it it's very romantic it you know it's africa it's dennis finch hatton you know with karen von blixen in kenya it you know and people buy into that now if we just launched a small caliber rifle well you need a story behind it it needs a the rifle needs a personality and so a heart yeah. it needs a heart exactly yeah. so 
my experience, and I've hunted in Scotland you know, much of my life and absolutely adore the place, but whenever you go around the world, there's a real affinity for Scotland and the Scottish Highlands. And looking back at... Um, you know the uh, uh, you know the, the rifles that we made of yesteryear. They were produced for you know Scottish stalking. So we had this rifle. We had the identity. And you know Simon Barr, who's done a phenomenal job with our marketing at Rigby's. Many people out there will know who I'm talking about. Um, if Simon comes to you and says he's had a good idea, it means it probably just cost you know 10, 15 grand. <laughs> that was just coming up with the idea. Yeah, that's just coming up with the idea. No, and Simon said, look, yeah, you know. I think in the UK, the um, shooting or uh, country pursuits is probably the last retreat for the Edwardian lady and gentleman. You know, it's the last place where you can hark back to those old older times. And Simon said, what about doing a Victorian-styled um, you know, escape to the highlands with the the sleeper train, and that's that fantastic old painting going north, and 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 then the ideas started. You know, as as the as the beers came in, the ideas got better and better and better, and and, it and bigger, bigger and yeah. more expensive actually. But <laughs> <laughs> but and it, and it turned into this huge thing, and you guys did a fantastic job up there. You came up there and and, and filmed it, and that film I'm sure will be online very soon. For uh, everybody it was watch. a pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed being yeah, part of that experience. Pretty yeah. special, yeah, definitely, to definitely. be there as filmmakers and just experience it. And I know that there's companies out there that offer similar experiences with Highland shooting trains. So, you know, you get on a train, you move over, you know, piece of ground and shooting on different estates over different days but you know I'm not aware of any gun makers laying on something quite like this and it was you know we're gun makers we're not tour operators we yeah. learn you know <laughs> it's sort of serene swans on the surface and paddling underneath but it was an amazing experience and we've got people um you know, have sent letters to us and emails of guys who'd been to a lot of different um, media launches, uh, rifle uh, and, and gun launches around the world, you know, media guys, um, who'd said, look, this really was one of the greatest uh, events I've ever been on. You really? Know? Yeah, honestly. I mean, I, I say that like I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. Yeah, we're, but we're not surprised. I, I know that, the, you know, some, some of the people who were on this journey and they were well-traveled hunters who have hunted around the world so for them to say that and it's kind of on our back door you're down south it's literally on our back door and sometimes we take that for granted but it Definitely. is incredible it, it is and you know i remember being 10 years old and saying to my my father who uh, who owns a house in scotland now and um, he adores the place i said what what is it about the highlands and he said one day you'll see it and, we, and you know went up there stalking for the first time and it just blew me away and it does every time i go up there now as you say, it's in our backyard, so we're used to seeing it. But you can imagine, you know, you know, Phil Mazzaro, wherever he is right yeah. now. You know, <laughs> good old Phil. You know, you know, you know, American hunter. He's been to some incredible places, but you know, seeing the Highlands for the first time on that experience. I mean, it's you know, once in a lifetime stuff. Yeah, yeah. I can only the only way that because I, I was born there and grown up with it, the only way I can compare it for me was the first time I truly got to hunt Africa. But it must be like that for people who have never I been to Scotland. So. It yeah. must be like there, that. You know, there's some. Um, there's some great places around the world to hunt, but I think Africa and Scotland are probably two of the r most romantic. You, you probably know. overloaded people there because you know they're getting off the train. There's bandpipes playing. Next thing, now they're they're in the Highlands shooting a deer. Then then you got a castle, and then it's yep. just it, the whole experience is, was just but into. 
and, and when we wanted to keep it as secret as possible, so it was you know a lot of sort of oh, wow factors. We factors. were sworn yeah. to secrecy. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and throughout the, the whole week, and you know, so we had the, uh, the going up on the train, staying in the lodge, and then of course the black tie dinner at Blair Castle, which was just spectacular. In that in that hall, explain that room for people who haven't been there. It, it's impossible. If you can. I mean, there's two rooms. You go into the um, the sort of the lobby, and they have the arms and armor of the Athol Highlanders, and there's I mean, there's everything from crossbows oh, to everything. It, I think the first air rifle was even the, yeah, it's an extraordinary place uh, and you sort of you're blown away and then you walk down a, a corridor with I don't know what was there 100 I don't know 50 100 stag heads it's on incredible. the wall incredible either side either side yeah. dating back to you know sort of 1850 I think some of them and they're all dated and then you go into this gymnasium it's the only way you can describe it it's a, it's a sort of banquet hall but it, it looks like a gym da- gymnasium because it's got a wooden floor which yeah. I found out was for it was built by one of the dukes for uh, Highland dancing Specifically, specifically, uh, and, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, no, I know it's interesting, but it um, and it's an incredible place. And there's sort of, um, well, I suppose you're going to d- describe it, spoils of war on the walls, you know, from the different dukes coming back from dip- different campaigns, and they've got chainmail, chainmail yeah. from and things from you know Turkey. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary room. Uh, so we had a table, uh, you know, laid out, black tie function. Everybody was piped into dinner. We had the piper. And I think the first group, uh, the, uh, the, the, the the media group who, who came came through, I mean, no one spoke for five minutes when no. they sat down. The bagpipes stopped and people were like jaws open, phones out taking pictures. Yeah, it was... Uh, Phil was actually who we just mentioned earlier. He was actually drilling over your middle yeah. table. Yeah. <laughs> we explained the middle table because that was, I mean... I've never seen a collection of guns like that in one place at one time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked before about the Blair Athol collection, but, you know, Rigby's, um, it was very important when we brought the company back that we would rebuild our, um, you know, our archives and, and a collection, we call it the museum, the Rigby Museum, but a collection of period uh, Rigby rifles and shotguns. Um, and we've got everything in there from 275 lightweight models to pre-war 416s to double rifles to Jim Corbett's 275 and we had much of this laid out in the middle of the banquet table um, I don't know there was probably one or two million pounds worth of vintage Rigby's laid there and everyone had dinner around, around them around and, and yeah. it was you know it it's proper. This it's is like a jo- homage to the. Yeah, I mean, look, this is my job, yeah. but uh, we do some pretty cool stuff at Rigby's, and and it's afforded me some amazing opportunities, and and you know that's something that's a definite career highlight in that venue as well. Mm. Yeah, no, it. Uh, I I will, even though it is literally just over the hill, I, that experience, just filming it will forever live with me. Yeah. Blair Athol just has some of the most stunning scenery when you start going around that that estate, it, even. Even for that area, it's quite unique. I, I don't know. It's it's hard to describe it until is, you go yeah, there. Yeah, it, it is, and it, and it's vast as well, yeah, isn't it? It is it's a huge, huge place, place. and and you've got these amazing people working the ground there. Who you know they they know those hills like the back of their hand, and you know you, if you watch the video, you can pick up on a little bit of it. But you know, looking at right, the weather's blowing in from this direction today, so the deer are going to be in here, and you know, it just comes from decades and decades of experience with those guys, and it was a, it was a pleasure. They did, they did us proud. They, uh, I mean, the whole, the whole week was just fantastic. One of the other beautiful things, and there's, there are no, a few estates around Scotland that still do this, but on some of the beats, the opportunity to go stalking, and take a stag off with a garren is just. It's incredible. like that extra that, for me. It's thing, like the yeah. pinnacle of stag hunting. It, it, it is, and. You know, I think in the UK, we're very fortunate in the UK with the access we have to deer stalking. Many of us shoot, you know, uh, you know, quite a lot of deer in yeah. a year, but it becomes a little bit of a sort of 
meat collection exercise. You know, you Filthy shoot, freezer. Yeah, yeah, you shoot it. You put it in the back of the vehicle. You take it home. It goes in the chiller. You know, th- there's something so so special, and just makes an occasion of it. You know, and and the respect for the beast. You know, it. And we we sometimes I think we're a little bit guilty of forgetting that. And um, you know, honouring the beast, and you you put him up on the up on the the garam pony, and you you walk it down. It's just. It, it's such an affordable day out. I mean, what is it there? Five, six hundred pounds to shoot a stag? Something in that region. Yeah, People think region. it's like uh, astronomical, it, it, yeah, but it, it really it's, isn't. It's not expensive for a day out. For you know, and you, quite often you 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 know you've got a nice you know you know set of antlers that you might put up on the wall, or you know it, you, you might be lucky one day and the next day you don't get something quite as special. But it's all about managing the herd up there. Um, but you know what what you're actually getting for your money is just incredible you know you've got two guys who are entertaining you for the whole day then you've got the pony and the the sta- you know it's it's a fantastic experience and if you haven't done it I, anyone out there I strongly recommend it yeah no we, we always say to people who enjoy stalking and have maybe even experienced the highlands that you need to go and experience that kind of stalk yeah on yes. an old estate with the, with the heritage and everything that comes with it and try and take a stag off with a pony yeah and I, I remember you know when I shot my first stag um I was I don't know, 13, 14 years old, something like that. And, it, and my father said to me something then, and, it, and it, I stand by it today. The, the, the day is the trophy. Forget the word trophy. I mean, the, the, I don't know a better word for it, but you know, people go up there expecting, who may go up there expecting to shoot a huge, you know, 14-pointer. Uh, you know, it, it's not about that. The day is the, is the, is the it's all That's about the, prize, the experience. Isn't it? Yeah, and, and managing the herd, you know, shooting the older um, animals or the, you know, the, the weaker animals. And, and that's what it's all about and coming back um soaking wet usually even if it's dry you end up getting soaking wet <laughs> up there Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> that's just scotland isn't <laughs> yeah. It? Yeah. cooling about and you know getting back you know boots on the radiator get a gin and tonic on the go and sitting by the fire and it's just fantastic you know, sharing stories it's you know i think it's one of the most underrated sporting destinations in the world and i've been very fortunate to hunt on several continents and been all to lots of different places but i think scotland is still i mean yeah, it's right up there. It right is. Up there. No, uh, anybody who hasn't been, you got to do it. Uh, it. Connected to the Highland Stalker, but I only just watched this last week, which was the the full film that's on your the Rigby YouTube channel, which t- talks about taking uh, the, the Corbett's rifle back to India. Yes. So, I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen that, go onto the Rigby YouTube channel and watch it. But we talked a little bit about it last time because of the the tie-in with the Highland Stalker, but what an incredible story that was! I was the, the one bit that really got me was uh, your face when you put uh, Jim's <laughs> rifle back in the yeah. cupboard where you, it belonged. You, you mean when I'm looking ill? <laughs> <laughs> were you were you suffering? Right? Oh, you, I mean, I've been to India. So. <laughs> what, the, like buckets of sweat coming off. As it was, I thought it was just hot, it, and it was that as well. But I mean, yeah, as I, as I said a little bit earlier, you know, Rigby has afforded all of the people. Uh, that work for the company, some incredible opportunities. You know, and the Jim Corbett rifle is a story that just keeps on giving. And uh, to have the opportunity to take it back to India, the, the last time that rifle was in India was 1947. Okay, Corbett then goes to Kenya. So the first night, it was, it was like it was written in the stars. Simon and I turn up with the with the the gang of Rig, of, of Corbett scholars and other uh, members of the the media community, and we. We're in this camp, and, and everyone's, oh, oh, I want to, you know, everyone's fighting for a tent. And the guy comes out and says, well, we actually have two Mishans in the jungle, and if anyone would like the opportunity to sleep in the Mishan, let me know. No one wanted to do it, but Simon and I, oh, my God, you know, yeah. definitely. And yeah. so the first night that that rifle, the Jim Corbett 275, was back in India, we were in a Mishan with it, 
in the jungle listening to leopards calling up oh. in the foothills of the Himalayas. I mean, it's just, you know. You couldn't write that in a storybook. No, and it, it proper, you know, proper you know, life stuff, you know. And we, so that was it coming home. <laughs> that was it coming home, and, we, and, and we're such geeks as well. We sat there reading <laughs> under, like, Jim you know, Corbett. Yeah, Jim Corbett, under like, your mobile phone yeah. light, and the, the, the great story of the Rudaprag man-eating leopard when he shoots it from the uh, the mango tree, and, and, you know, we visited that exact place later on in the trip, but we were trying to work out, you know, when he turns the torch on, and then we sat, we sat there reenacting. How did he do it? How, yeah. yeah, how he did it, and, and uh, you know, trying to work out whether he could see it in the dark, and yeah, real geek stuff. I mean, <laughs> it's our job, but we love it. <laughs> <laughs> so it is uh, for anyone who hasn't read Jim's books, you, go and pick up a copy. And I actually have a rather special collection of Jim's books because they are the reprints, the Rigby, that my girlfriend bought me. But that was uh, there's a great story there to be told as well because that money went to. Well, well that you was, can explain that, that. Yeah, that was really the whole purpose of the trip. Of course, um, taking the rifle back was a great story, but we really just used that to highlight. Uh, tiger conservation now you know we produce a lot of dangerous game rifles and deer stalking rifles but you know, rigby um is, is very much about conservation and we and we hold it very close to our hearts and we felt that reacquiring jim corbett's rifle it had to be commemorated in some way and uh it, to you know the easy option would have been to look to to name the highland stalker the jim corbett model but i think that would have been entirely wrong for corbett's memory this is a man who didn't hunt for profit um, he, he loved and cared for the local people. In fact, he built a, a village there, Choti Helwani, which he, even when he moved to Kenya, was paying the land taxes. Wow, you know, I didn't it, know that, actually. Yeah, and he's he, he, amazing, amazing guy. So we did two things. We made the, the SCI Corbett commemorative rifle, which raised a quarter of a million dollars for conservation projects around the world and set the world record. I mean, that's another... That room must <laughs> have been buzzing. I no, actually I, saw a clip of that the other day, and it just looked electric. Yeah, when I mean, it's like, I think it's through. like when you win the Super Bowl or something. Yeah. It's like 4,000 uh, uh, Americans in this room. Uh, uh, I mean, it got a standing ovation. It was electric, the atmosphere. And the SCI president came running up to the stage and said, yeah, you guys did it. You <laughs> did it. Just unbelievable. And, I, I, you know, when the hammer went down, I couldn't even rem I couldn't wasn't really aware of what price it had sold for. You know, it was just, you know, very, very emotional. But, you know, that was a great way of using Corbett's, um, you know, legacy I suppose to you know to help and also the books that you talked about before uh, we produced uh, 275 sets of his books wrapped in Rigby blue leather with the logo and a new forward. Do you know what number you've got? I don't have number 275. Nah. Uh, no. It's quite an early number I have. I can't I, remember. I'm the MD. Like I wasn't even allowed number two. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got like 62 or something. <laughs> um, no, so we, and we, 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 there are still a couple available if anybody out there oh, would like, brilliant. like I said, um, we, we, we donated, uh, well, all of the sale value of those books and then some to the Jim Corbett National Park. Now, rather than turning up there with one of those sort of big novelty checks and <laughs> handing it over, we, um, uh, we thought, well, how would the money be best spent? And we thought an anti-poaching vehicle. So we contacted uh, the Jim Corbett National Park. We arranged everything. And so the rifle being there was really just, you know, to, to, to give the whole thing a bit of... Um, you know, glamour you journey there as well. Yeah, as well, and, and and we were in you know fifty national newspapers um, with this trip, and we made the donation, and that that vehicle's still there, and it was kitted out for um, you know uh, veterinary work for you know rapid response oh, if there's right, a wounded okay. animal. So, you know, which I think is great, you know, and and it's you know we can't hunt in India anymore, but there's that doesn't mean that conservation doesn't need you know doesn't more than ever it needs, needs to go. Yeah, it? and the, the the poaching there is rife, and it's it's, it's pretty sad, sad story. So. Um, no, we 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 um, 
you know, hold hold the whole story very close to our hearts and yeah was, uh, i love the, i love the story and yeah the, everyone listening needs to go go watch the story so they can get a snippet of what it was like to take that take that particular and then buy back. the books before they're gone but yeah tell me what was also interesting on that point is uh, we, we contacted um, when we contacted the park they they said well we can do this but it has to go through a charity so we contacted WWF the, the, the you know the wildlife yeah. guys not the wrestling guys <laughs> <laughs> I just up, in case there's any confusion yeah, I grew up when it was WWF I think it's yeah. WWE now yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we contacted them and you know they wouldn't receive our donation because we make hunting rifles which really? I think is an absolute disgrace yeah no, but you know what that doesn't actually surprise me though. it doesn't surprise yeah. me but you know I just think you it's know, sad it, that that's the yeah, world that we live in it is there it is. is it's all to the same end Absolutely, and we're, we're all actually everybody's on the same side, yeah. you know. And and if we all worked a little bit close together, but no, it was. So who well, did you end up working with in order I to get I, that? I, I can't remember. I, um, Simon set the whole thing up for us, and uh, you you got you managed to get the money there and got the money there. The, the hardest thing was that there is no procedure in place to take a firearm in a rifle into India because no, no one has it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So we wrote to we tried everything uh, one year in advance and. Um, uh, we got the permit the day before we flew. Someone must have been sweating somewhere. Yes, <laughs> you probably. We, yeah, we actually had time. we had somebody camping outside the the embassy in London and uh, with the rifle, and he actually managed to get into the. Uh, I, I'm, I can't tell you who, whose office it was, and, pre- and presented it, and the guy signed a letter. So <laughs> Simon and I land in. We got in. We got the rifle insured, but we you can't replace something no, like that. It's, it's no, sacred, yeah. you know. Um, and the people of India still see it as a sacred object. Yeah. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But when we landed in Delhi. As we approach custom, it's always a nervous thing. <laughs> Even when everything's squared away, yeah, it's and, a and, thing. and all we've got is a letter by, from some guy in in London, and we um, we uh, we approach uh, the you know, customs hall, and I said to Simon, we might just um, in a minute become the two guys that lost the Corbett rifle. You know, got chopped up in Indian customs, and we the guy sort of uh, says, yeah, you know, what's this? He said, it's a firearm. His eyes, you know, then there's next minute, there's like 20 guys. I pull the letter out. I don't know who that guy was. I don't know what it said on the letter, but we were immediately let through. That just like that? Just like that. So yeah. you obviously got the right person there. They didn't even check the firearm. <laughs> no. I'm deadly serious. That <laughs> 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 was crazy, but um, no, it's... Uh, yeah. it, it, is, it is amazing, though, in, in what esteem the people of those yes. places still hold Jim Corbett? It's still uh, taught in the national curriculum, his stories. Um, he's, you know, I wouldn't say he's godlike, but at some form but He's a hero deity. figure, though. He, definitely, definitely. And we, um, at the Rudaprag Manita site, uh, there's still a statue there commemorating this, and it's on the Pilgrim Trail on, at the Ganges River. And we... Uh, we were told that the local people wanted to have a ceremony for us so we turned up and you know these people aren't particularly well off but they'd really spent some time and and they built they directed this huge sort of marquee with fabulous um sort of silk uh drapes of all different colors and there were flowers everywhere there were i think 100 150 children from the local school i don't know there were hundreds maybe thousands of people turned up for this thing there was the local judge the local colonel from the same regiment that jim corbett was part of and we um i was given the honor of actually presenting the rifle onto the um on placing on the statue wow. and uh, i was asked to you know remove my shoes and you know put flowers on me. it was like national geographic type stuff mm. it was just incredible and and people were you know, desperate to touch the gun, and they were crying. And you actually still saw it. Actually, it must it be real. re- relatives of people Definitely, that he, who you know, had died. 
yeah, we, yeah. you know, we, when you're, you know, as a 12-year-old boy sat in West Sussex reading Jim Corbett, you know, it feels, it's all very exciting and, you know, guys getting carried off in the night <laughs> by this le- man-eating leopard. But when you're there and you meet, like, guys says, yeah, my father was killed. You know, the 80-year-old man, yeah, my father was taken out from... That was what was so scary about that man-eater is that it, they didn't take you when you're out in the fields. It would actually sort of dig under the door and drag you out of your bed at night. I mean, the people were terrified. So... Um, yeah, I, I think it really reinforced how much of a local and national hero he is in India. It's a, it's a great, great story. And as we get to wrapping up, a very, very open question for you, but the future of rugby is looking bright, but what is there anything that you can actually tell us that isn't secret <laughs> well, there, <laughs> that's there, coming up? There, well, there is a secret uh, project, and uh, like all things in the British gun trade, it's the worst-kept secret okay. out there. Everyone knows about it. Um, for those of you who are listening who do know, uh, you know, there may or may not be a shotgun that comes out before the end of the decade. You know, I, I couldn't possibly say, <laughs> but uh, we, you know, we've got a pretty uh, exciting project in the background. Um, there'll be some news on that in January, February next year. Right. So, yeah. Mark, it's been great to speak to you again today. Thank, Thank you very you. much for your time. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. We've been trying to get you on now for, I don't know, how long? Uh, two, two years. Two years, <laughs> two two years, years almost. Two years yeah. now. And it's actually ridiculous that we haven't got you on the show, considering how much time we've actually spent with <laughs> yeah. you over the last two years. Uh, In all the different countries. Uh, how we, I think we worked out. How many different countries have we traveled uh, well, together? Norway, uh, Scotland, yeah. of course. Germany. Uh, Germany, Finland. Finland. I'm sure we have one. That's well, in the space of like 12 months. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and in the following week, we're going to be in Svalbard. Not actually together because it was never planned. No. But you're going to be there at the same time. And then the following month, I'm actually coming to My very house. far north. Yeah. And we're going to, to your house. Is it actually going to be light? Is it going to be light in Norway? Yeah. By the yeah. Time we have there? daylight now, but... Yeah. In January, it would be horrendous to be there. You wouldn't see anything. What is it, like half an hour, one hour light? Oh, it's it's half an hour of like bluish light. It's not light. That, that is you why don't see I the decided sun. to come then, because I just thought, I want to come up north and see mm. everything, but it, I'm sure it's beautiful in winter. But, but <laughs> <laughs> you can you imagine see that? You, like, you land at the airport... <laughs> And you see nothing for the entire week. Yeah. <laughs> you just go <laughs> leave in the dark. Yeah, leave in the dark. Oh. I should just explain that before we continue. We're, we're sitting on the Browning stand, and the tink, 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 tink you can hear in the background is a lady engraving an action, and she's been doing it all weekend. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful. So that's you, it's yeah. incredible. When, when you see that that's how it's done, yeah. with, with essentially a little chisel and a little yeah. hammer, it's incredible. You have no idea. And it's freehand. Yeah. Freehand. And you know what? I visited the, um, the gun shop that makes the B15 and B25 uh, in Herstal. And they do everything by hand. You have? Yeah. Seriously, how much did you pay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I would, used to. Used to have. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. You have no idea that how skilled they are, the workers at the factory. It's, it's nice to be able to see it, actually. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, that was just to explain what on earth oh. the noise was. <laughs> Quite a few of our listeners probably know who you are through social media and if they follow us, which mm-hmm. obviously our listeners probably do follow us, um, <laughs> they would have seen you on our Instagram account and then on the film that we did in Norway. And one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on particularly is because we wanted to find out about your background and how it, how it kind of started because this isn't a new thing for you. 
hunting. This is no. this has gone. Well, you start start from the beginning. What, what age did you first pick up a r- rifle? Um, I'm not sure, but I think I was maybe f- five years old. So I really sh- old then. Uh, yeah, yeah, really <laughs> yeah. old. Uh, when when I shot my uh, granddad's pistol, and then pretty much the same age, we had a U.S. carbine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I shot that, and I mean, I had an air gun in my bedroom, my girl room. Like, you just grew sh- up with that. Yeah, and uh, my dad took me hunting. My mom took me hunting from a very, very young age. So, because both your mom and your dad hunt. Yeah. yeah, I think my mom hunts more. You think so? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's un- that's a fairly unusual thing, still. Yeah. Yeah. We do that as a family activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what what kind of hunting? Um, because it's quite different what you guys do in. Yeah, in we Norway. have moose hunting. Uh, so we do that as a team with the other locals. Um, and the meat gets shared out between the, yeah. the people that are yeah. there. Yeah, you have meat according to size of the property. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Because a, a, a moose is a big animal, so you're probably not going to be able to consume yeah. the whole thing yourself anyway. You have basically meat f- almost for the whole winter with the whole moose. Huh. If you would eat it once a week, twice a week. Yeah. So is that predominantly the, the food of choice, as in... During winter, you mainly eat what you've killed from the previous season. Yeah. Yeah. She says it like that's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but for so many people, that's just not normal. No. <laughs> and we also know that you are big into grouse shooting. Yeah. That was uh, initially what I started out hunting. Yeah. And I actually bought my first hunting dog when I was 14 years old. So. And you, compete, you, you, you competed? Yeah, uh, I did. You, do you still compete? No, no, you're not. no. It's How a do difficult you world. Uh, my dog got neutered, so he can't compete anymore. Is that the stipulation? And it was worthless, anyways. Ball, it was the dog needs balls. Yeah, he does. It really? does. Yeah, because it, it's for breeding that you uh, want. Uh, oh, okay, got you. A prize. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I would explain the competitions to me because I, I don't. This is pointer competitions. <laughs> well, you have like twenty dogs and twenty people go out in the mountain and you uh, let two dogs out at the same time and they hunt like in a normal situation only you don't have a shotgun you have a uh, clipboard yeah <laughs> and mark them yeah and a starter pistol okay. is that oh, the name? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so you do it basically like you would on a walked up grouse hunt and then you've got somebody and they just basically judge how well your your, your dog, dog has performs it. yeah Huh. It should be on point, and it should flush the bird, and then it should sit down. <laughs> and not chase after the bird. If it chases, chases after, Instant you can... done. Yeah. So none of our dogs would... Uh, no, 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 no. Chasing s- is bad. <laughs> I saw a picture of your dog the other day in like almost like a full onesie with boots. But mm-hmm. they need it, you need it. What, I mean, what, what temperature have you had over the winter where you live? It's been really cold. Actually, it's been, I think, the coldest. My mom and me, we drove to Sweden one day, and I think we had like 34 minus degrees. That's, that's crazy. That's seriously cold. Yeah. I don't even know how you operate in temperatures like that. Just to give people an idea of uh, where Elise lives, you have you have the midnight sun in summer, yeah. and then you also, in winter, it's the zero pitch black, pitch black for 24 yeah. hours of the day. We have the northern light, though, so... That is true. <laughs> 
That, that does somewhat make up for it. It does. The Northern Lights are spectacular. Yeah, they are. Now, we want to talk, because um, we don't have a huge amount of time with you, so we no. need to get you on again so we can go into a lot more detail. We want to talk about Scotland. The oh. first time you came over and uh, you came on our first wilderness um, hunt with us. Yeah. And you were helping us out with that. And so kind of describe, this was your first time in Scotland and also seeing the numbers of deer that you saw. It, it was amazing. It was mind-blowing for me because we can, in Norway, you can go like, two, three days and don't see any animals and to come there and see the amount of deer even though it was hard to stalk them and but it just to see the big herds uh, amazing the gamekeepers do a fabulous job <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it where we where we took you up at, up at Glenfiddich is uh is a pretty special john's place, place. Well. yeah john's mm. place it's um Explain that that ex- the experience to us. But for I mean, some of our podcast listeners have heard us talk about those hunts, the wilderness hunts, because we've just mm-hmm. finished a few now. But tell that talk about that experience from your point of view, from being there, because you were on the very first one we ever. Yeah, did. I was. Yeah. Even put the tent up with you. Yeah, you did. We got you to graft and help take it yeah. down. <laughs> but you built the best toilet. <laughs> I, I did. Yes. Yeah. You know that we have. He was a, so satisfied with that we, toilet. <laughs> there's now a Mark II toilet, which is, is a full wooden seat. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it's proper, and you, it's it's like the right height and everything. Oh no! And you have a system for not. Well, we ha- we had to camp in a slightly different location this year <laughs> because there was so much snow. Oh. We couldn't. We couldn't physically. You know, so, oh well, when you were there, we had to. Do we have to take the long way around. Yes. At least it was there. We did because the ones yeah. the road was blocked. Yeah. Well, there was so much snow we couldn't even get to that camp this time. Oh. So uh, we had uh, like an old shed that was sort of beside where we were camping. So behind the shed is where the toilet was okay. in the open again. Yeah. So we had a system to make sure nobody walked in. That <laughs> 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 was was a raw experience. It's like back to nature. Uh, I really liked staying out. Mm. in the tent and having a wood fire stove and eat what you shoot and that's one that's one of the and things and I love we were that. we were outnumbered by scandinavians on the first yeah completely, completely. yeah I mean, you two got swedish y- and two norwegians <laughs> two norwegians yeah it was two swedish swedish guys and two norwegian girls yeah yeah and hopefully well i think everyone's going to be coming back to do do more hunting with yeah, us. We the two brothers have. wanted to come this year but we just couldn't make the no. make the make the dates no it's an experience for a, a lifetime going there it's what was the the day that you actually shot your your deer which was your first red deer right yeah that was on our last day on our last day and then it, it wasn't actually the last day no. but it was mine and your last day because oh, we was were breaking down the camp we were walking all day i don't know how we could have walked. You were doing some big days. Oh, it was big days, and on top of that, it was the end of the day because we thought we were. Yeah, was it was it. the last daylight, and we had crawled. Um, oh, the word. Um, what through the? Uh, what's the, the the black? Oh, the peat, the peat bogs. Peat bogs. Mm. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All day. I forgive you for forgetting her, that because it's couldn't. not exactly a common thing, is it? A peat bog. Yeah, peat bog. <laughs> I, well. I was explaining some Norwegian what it was, but... Uh, you couldn't quite get there. No. It's a weird thing because when you're walking through it, it feels like you're on the moon. Yeah. Because it's so uh, bouncy. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. So anyway, carry on with <laughs> your... Carry on, yeah. <coughs> uh, well, so it was the last daylight. I, I don't think... I w- we just came up a hill, then saw them, and I had basically a few seconds to shoot. 
Because they saw us. Yeah. So they started running. And it was quite a big distance from us to them. We were, we were lucky that they started running. It was such a big herd. Yeah. That the ones at the back all mm-hmm. stopped. Yeah. And started to look us at again. And that was the, you know, the, the opportunity. That was the moment. You know you've got, yeah. you've got 10, 20 seconds there and yeah. if and if you don't take it there that's it it's, it's i think done. that was the gamekeeper's uh, earning because he made a sound yeah he he called yeah. to stop he called yeah. them yeah, to stop. see if it would work and they stopped dead in their tracks yeah the ones at the back yeah, yeah. and then but you only get a very small window at that oh. point before yeah. they work it out yeah but you took it yeah i took it yeah. and it was amazing and I obviously wasn't with you when on that. No, I walked that, up to it, hunt. and the sun was going down behind us, and the, the pictures that Daryl took of, of oh. that around there while you were, you know, just enjoying the moment are fantastic yeah. as well. And do capture a little bit. I had a, a quiet bit of moment mm. with the deer, yeah. just taking it all in. It was amazing. But that was your first red deer. Yeah. And now, since then, you've actually shot quite a few more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've been very successful. Yeah. After that, so well, on you go. You're going to no, say no, something. no, no, Carol, mm-hmm. Carol. I was going to say it's. In the last two years since we've known you, a mm. lot has moved on and, and changed with with you. You're yeah. now you're now a, a working working woman. Yeah, I am. <laughs> when I'm we for, when we first met you, you were a student bum. Yep, <laughs> just hunting my way through life. <laughs> it's not a bad way to go, but no. explain what explain what your job role is now. Because you, I mean, you're in the industry. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> I fit right in, don't I? <laughs> you do. Uh, well, uh, my main job is to be a sales rep uh, for Browning Norway. And um, so we do a lot of game fairs and I visit shops. So that's what I'm doing in Svalbard. I'm vis- visiting Longyear, a shop there. And, and we'll uh, see you there. And we'll see you there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then I do some social media marketing for Browning Norway. To be invo- to have a job in the industry in an industry that you are also passionate about is, is, yeah. is the ultimate, really. And the, the we always feel very lucky that we managed to do it. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, when I was offered this job, my rifle was a Browning Xbox. I know because it was the same one that you had from the yes, day one. Yes, yeah. yes, with the KKC stock on. It's yeah. I love the Browning. <laughs> uh, we. What, Oh, so on you go. Oh, no, we keep I, interrupting I, I, each other here. I was yeah. just going to ask her if she's got any hunting planned for uh, the rest yeah. of this year. Well, any, like, we're trying excursion. to book a trip to Africa. Yeah, well, that, that, that is on the cards. Yeah. You're right, that's a little bit up in the air, but yeah, you might very well be... We might be hunting together in Africa, which would be... Yeah. That's another, on another level. Another location around the world. Yeah. yeah. But apart from that... Uh, apart from that, I'm, I'm invited with... Um, uh, one of our ambassadors, his name is Yuad. Uh, you should meet him actually because you would love him. He uh, has a catering business and what he serves is the meat he shot. Oh, wow. Wow. So he has a lot of deer to where's, shoot. Where's he based? Uh, Sondar. So it's in this more southern part of Norway. So it's a flight for me. When I saw you last, it was, I was there. It was two days before I fell down a hole yeah. and my trousers got destroyed, which I was very upset oh, about. Yeah. I uh, will send you new ones, I promise. <laughs> if I have the size, I will send you new ones. Um, but when I was there, I met Jens. Mm-hmm. And Jens has been doing some really cool things. Unfortunately, we can't read all the things <laughs> Maybe that he you puts. Can give us an no. update. So can you tell us <laughs> he, exactly what he's he actually doing right now? He is actually now out uh, far up north in Norway, alone. 
staying in the tent, hunting, and he's driving uh, sled dogs with yeah. sled dogs uh, from, uh, I think, uh, Finnmark to his home place, with, which is in the middle of Norway, Tundlag. And he's doing that midwinter. He got frostbites. He oh, really? nearly destroyed his fingers. Oh wow! He's just, he's but what's he doing guy. it for? Is it for a pro it's TV? For a program? Yeah. Yeah. It's TV. Yeah. Because Jens, over I mean, over the last year, he uh, had it, a TV show he, where yeah. he stayed out a few months. So he had the TV show, yeah. and I saw he's won a few awards for I think that, yeah. that show. Yeah. Um, it's just so annoying that we can't understand what. Because all the stuff on. he puts up, and it's like, I, I can see that you've done something which is cool, but Don't it's all Instagram in Norwegian. translate it? It does, but it doesn't it's always not, work that well. No. And quite often it's articles that he, he posts that yeah. obviously someone else, and that's and all he can't translate. And it's the films I'm talking about. Yeah. You can't translate that. No. Very cool. You're going to have to try and hook up a hunting trip with him. Yeah. yeah. She has. You've been hunting with him. I've been hunting oh, with have? him, yeah. That's where I shot the two deer in ah, October. Okay, I didn't realize yeah. that. We were there getting fat. Ewer makes the best food ever. <laughs> was that, I mean was that the, the, the guy that had that amazing house with all yes, of the, the mounts? Yes. Oh, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. You should meet him. I mean, it is. And such a passionate hunter. We yeah. were hunting from 6 o'clock in the morning to, well, past the last daylight. <laughs> Every day. Yeah. We want to talk a little bit about um, social media and actually the perception of hunting within Norway and how it's changed over the last few years and particularly women, more women and younger girls getting into hunting. Yeah, I think it, there is a development. We have an increased number of female hunters. So that's good. It's We have had female hunters before, but it's I think it's going upwards now. Mm-hmm. We have a few good ambassadors in Norway for hunting. Uh, as um, as a culture, though, I mean, mm-hmm. hunting's always been been there. But d- did you s- have you seen a drop off or more people kind of against it in Norway? Has it always kind of been it's an accepted thing to uh, to do? It has always been a part of our culture, yeah. pretty much. But there is, um, for instance, if you shoot a fox, which is a predator, and it eats the grouse, and we have. A short, shorter of grass. Yeah. yeah, difficult word. Uh, if you shoot that and pu- put it on social media, you will get some nasty comments. Hmm. Yeah. Because they're cute to look at, and but it, it is a part of hunting to take care of every aspect of it. Also, the predators. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think you. I don't. It doesn't seem from the outside. Like you have to face uh, quite as much um, criticism not, not from as the general much public as, as the I, UK. I follow Rachel Carey. Yeah, I s- she gets a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that is just the shift in the in the, in the cultures there. Because even when we were driving through Daryl, remember the it was like opening day of moose season. Oh, just and a, just mm-hmm. everywhere we turned, there, there was, was just groups of people go, going out hunting mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, it's every a family activity. We it's yeah. we didn't been fishing and hunting forever <laughs> mm. yeah now um ice fishing it's yeah. something that, <laughs> that hopefully we can do when yeah. i am there um but for the people that have not done it can you explain actually what what is involved in ice fishing obviously you need to be in a country where the, the lakes freeze over yeah uh, but explain how it works well you just uh, you say you just i mean <laughs> it's not something that yeah you just yeah 
take your skis on, you ski to a lake, yeah. you hope the ice is safe, <laughs> and you drill a hole in the ice, and then you have like a short, um, we call it a pilk. Like a little fishing rod. A fishing rod. Yeah. It's like uh, super short, like one foot long. Yeah, and yeah. you put the maggots on the hook, and you would want to stick it in the eye so it wiggles a lot. <laughs> and you have a light, a tiny light on it, and a, like a spoon. We call it a shea. Yeah. And sit there. But you, you like jig you it up and down. You jig it a bit up and down. How deep is it? Like where? I mean, how? What? Different depth. Is, is it just kind of, do you know the lakes that you go to? So you're like, I want to go and fish this edge of it? Or yeah. are you just randomly selecting places? I pretty much know where the big fish is okay. and when the small fish is. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but if you're staying there for longer, you bring a tent and, and a heater. and Yeah, you yeah. can do that. We don't do that. We no, you're hardcore and you just stay outside. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you catching? Norwegian dust freeze them. <laughs> what, what, what type of it is it? Uh, Arctic, Arctic char. char yeah. Any, anything else? Pike? Uh, well, we don't have pike, but if you go a bit further south... You get pike. Yeah. yeah. I've never caught an Arctic char. You didn't? No. Well, we we have Arctic char in Scotland, yeah. but only in certain lakes, only the very deepest lakes. Yeah. And they're way down deep. So unless you're actually fishing for them, mm -hmm. it's not normal Is to that catch because them. they like the cold? Um, I don't want to say yes to yeah. that question, but maybe. Uh, no, it's, it's just They're, they're obviously catching to. it near the surface, but it's the whole lake is freezing cold. So yeah, I'm, mm. I'm not sure. But they do but come up in um, even at Loch Lee near us. Mm. In May, when they're mm. spawning, yeah. they come up to the surface. And that's when guys do catch them mm. when they're out trout fishing. But, mm -hmm. um, so I've never caught one, so it is mm. high on my list. So in Sweden, you can drive with a snowmobile from lake to lake and just fish for a few hours and then move to another lake and then fish for a few hours. You don't hours. have to pay for it? It's, is it free Well, you pay for, for it, but it's like, can be about seven pounds a day. Is that to the government or are yeah. these private lakes? Uh, it's, it, it depends, it okay. depends. Yeah. But it's, it's, not ex it's not expensive. It's not it's expensive. pretty free and available. Yeah. yeah, you can fish as much as you want. I've seen uh, a friend of uh, mine who is in Sweden. I've seen some pictures of him catching monster grayling mm -hmm. in some of the rivers there. Mm -hmm. Do you have grayling in the Norwegian river? Uh, I'm not sure what it grayling. It's like a, it's a gray fish actually, mm -hmm. with a with a red dorsal fin, and uh, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, they've got them in Sweden certainly. Yeah. Big grayling compared to what we have. But I've, we did, we did a little bit of sea fishing in Norway when we were we there, did. but uh, nothing mm -hmm. inland. Oh, and that was horrendous. For you, you were, yeah. looking, <laughs> very Ill. You were looking extraordinarily ill. I think I was green yeah. at one no, point. No, you weren't green. Mike was green. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I've spent many years <laughs> on the sea, many years on the sea, and I got seasick myself. And yeah. I knew a few other people in the Navy that got seasick. And um, I never, you know, you, you, you have the phrase, oh, you're looking a bit green. Yeah. And I never saw that until we went to Norway and mm -hmm. one of the Americans <laughs> that was with us literally turned green. <laughs> and, and that's the first time I've ever seen someone, because normally you just go white mm -hmm. and you don't go green. <laughs> this, this dude was green. <laughs> <laughs> he was upset. It was a shame because it was, it and was, it was a And I gave him a seasickness oh, it was uh, too late. tablet. It yeah. was too late by then. Yeah. You, and you gave me that That was also too late. Oh, my God. That was also too late by then. 
you got to load up before you, you gotta go. you got to do it before. Mm-hmm. you got to be doing an hour before you, you do it. Daryl's well-practiced. I'm well-practiced. <laughs> I used to be like a junkie on my ship. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get my next fix of seasick oh. fitness tablets. But and then I got the patches and that. The that, patch. The patch no, the solved patch everything. was horrendous. My mouth was like cotton <laughs> <laughs> for days. That, that's the problem with the... I mean, I couldn't swallow anything, not food anything for days. If anyone... Um, has never heard you can actually get seasickness patches that are fully waterproof and you shove them on they're behind your ear and they last three days yeah and uh, I had them um, I got issued them in Germany for the first time and then I managed to get some more from New Zealand and in the UK apparently it's quite hard to get hold of them and these things they solved all my problems but the I've lost Sorry. my train of thought I, I just <laughs> I'll tell you why because the guys from 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 Hookton you're in Norway aren't you yeah, yeah. We're, we're, t- we're taking some pictures and I knew that we were due them some podcast stickers so I, uh, while you were talking to I was just telling them to come <laughs> over so I could get them some podcast stickers <laughs> I, I, back to my I've, see you guys yeah. talk I, to you later I remember my train of thought now Mm-hmm. The problem with these patches is the list of side effects is about three pages long, yeah. and I threw that in the bin because I was like, I, the, the top ones were uh, dry mouth, mm-hmm. and then actually the side effects for women were was worse than it was for men, and um, my, the only one I got was a dry mouth, and I just learned to live with it. But yeah, you dry uh, mouth is the is, understatement is like, of it's the with, year. It's within 15 minutes, your yeah, mouth just goes like Sahara <laughs> <Sorry>. Desert. <laughs> See, that's what problems when you're, coming when, you're, out of it. when you're just made weak because I, I don't have to take anything for the sea. Oh, <laughs> oh that was Luckily. horrendous. Luckily. But we did catch some fish. You caught a big fish. I did. Yeah. I caught the biggest fish of the trip. But the funny thing is, like a few weeks prior to that boat trip, I took my boat driver's license. You have to take a license yeah. to drive a boat in Norway. So I took that a few weeks before. But you, you've had no desire to go no, take a boat out No, 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 no. Absolutely not. <laughs> Stick to frozen lakes. Yep. Boat not required. No. Yeah. Uh, so how was the hunting season that's just passed for you? Uh, it's been good. but uh, I know you've been really busy. I've been really busy. I've been traveling a lot and working. But I had um, a week off filming for Browning Norway with Jens. Yeah. So we were up in the mountains hunting grouse and a duck. <laughs> Shot a duck. Yep. Had to swim. <laughs> well... So we were also doing the same as the wilderness hunt. Mm-hmm. Didn't bring too much food. Ate what we shot. So, and then I had uh, a newspaper with me, uh, Dagens Næringsliv. It's a big uh, Norwegian uh, I newspaper. I saw the. I saw the. I think you took pictures online. I saw the article. Obviously, I didn't read it. No. Um. It's actually a, like a financial newspaper, but they do like sporting section stuff. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was what was that story about? It's about grouse hunting, and then they're doing another article uh, that comes this fall about uh, me and my social media accounts and oh, cool. story. And uh, because my hunting ground was owned by my great 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 grandparents, and it's been in the family a lot for of generations. generations. And the only yes. way to get access to it is to marry you. Yep, <laughs> basically. <laughs> if you want to contact me, so you can find her. <laughs> No, no, no. Friends as well. That's why we keep yeah, you around. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the film that mm-hmm. we made in Norway two years ago now. Yeah. Basically two years. Um, Has that it been it, that long? I, I can't even remember Have an now. HD. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we're talking about the one that's entered in the film festival that is still currently going around the mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... 
we tell people it was bloody hard work. Yeah. You were there. You were helping us carrying the equipment up and down the mountains. I mean, you I almost cried one the one day we were up in the mountain. My legs stopped working, yeah, so Lisa I had, had to carry my pack, and I we swapped packs. It was ridiculous because the, the pack, pack was, was bigger, bigger than her. <laughs> yeah. It must have and been about it was 50 down a kgs. Steep, 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 steep mountain, and I, I weigh 50 kilos, so <laughs> <laughs> that backpack <laughs> weighed about 50 kilos, if not more. Yeah, what the steep parts, I just had to slide down yeah. because I couldn't, I couldn't keep my back up. I actually can't believe we walked up there with that no. amount of equipment. It was, it's pretty but crazy. But we had to carry every. But I mean. What we saw and what we took pictures of and what we captured. It was amazing. Was it yeah. In the end. It was amazing. I've almost, I, I guess uh, it's probably a bit like childbirth. I've almost forgotten how painful it was to do all that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, let's go we do it again. We lost a few kilos. Yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. right. I put it all back on again <laughs> yeah. since my legs stopped working. Oh. Um, but yeah, can you tell people how how tough some of this it terrain was? It was bloody hard. Uh, it was, bl- I mean... I almost killed you, Byron. It did. Massive rock. Oh, yeah, you massive did. Rock. I, I, I yeah. had forgotten about it and forgiven you. But now that you've reminded me, <laughs> you've got to be so I'm careful. I'm so sorry. I'm still sorry. <laughs> it was a very dangerous environment it in was. some places. Because the valley that we went up, in fact, it was the, yeah. us again. We went up that. Several, I actually saw a documentary about it. Several people have died up in that valley. Really? Yeah. But so that, that was... It's just the loose rocks. Yeah. Have they, are they, oh, launching, yeah, are they launching something behind There's a cocktail party going on Or is it just a cocktail party? And the music. I think it's something. a launch and a cocktail party. Well, there's lots of people in cowboy hats yeah. next to us. So I think and Raniero Testa is there. Is yes, Raniero Testa is there I, I noticed you work for Browning and we didn't get an invite. Well, yeah, where's our right invite now. to a cocktail party? <laughs> um, this is the time I invited you here. Oh, so specifically. Yeah, specifically this time. Um... Yeah, I've been very distracted by like the rock music now. <laughs> <laughs> and we've just actually just walked past us as a, an awesome you. photographer. Uh, yeah. an- another man that was on yeah. the trip with us, he's walked, he's ignored us he's and walked yeah. past completely, us now. Completely mm-hmm. ignored us. Photographer extraordinaire. No, but it was a good experience. Yeah. But the house we were staying in for a few days, the the size of the bugs in that house, I never and the moist. I was yeah, it it wasn't really. It was, it was like house, somewhere between a house and a shack. Yeah, it was a shack. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think at some point in the past, it must have been lovely because it was actually a small yeah. farm there. Yeah. But it just, for years and years, no one living in it. But it, it, it fitted, you know, it, it did the job. Mm-hmm. Gave yeah. us uh, somewhere dry-ish to sleep. Yeah. We, it we wasn't were, raining on us. We were yeah. all a bit tired of the ration packs by the time we got to the end. Oh, I still eat them. No, I mean... Only on that trip. Well, I think I think they're really, I think they're great. In yeah. fact, we need to find them this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the real ration packs. But the problem is when you yeah, eat them for weeks and yeah. weeks. Yeah. It's, uh, mm. It doesn't matter what you're eating. If you eat it for weeks and weeks, you're yeah. gonna get. Well, they have different flavors. Yeah. But They've brought out some new. ones. I like the beef and the potato one. So. <laughs> you know that you're not supposed to keep them in your cupboard and eat them when you're just can't be bothered cooking all night, right? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Uh, it's the student going back to you. It's like it's like the equivalent of a pot noodle, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. I think the really loud music behind us and yes. the launch is probably putting an end to uh, this this podcast. Mm-hmm. But thank you very much for coming on, and yeah, we're going to get you pleasure. on in a quieter environment so we can actually talk yes. into greater detail about your your upbringing and the hunting and go into greater depths and how the moose hunting works now because it's yeah. actually fascinating how 
the I logistics. Think the, the dogs alone, the dogs is just and everything. An yeah. I don't. It, I don't understand how it's so bred into them that they just know what to do. I know that yeah. there's training involved, but oh, you a can't lot of just. Training. But those dogs are incredible. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have to talk about that because I think the, the, they seem to be ramping the music up behind yeah. us. Yeah, they <laughs> they're trying to get us shut down over here, yeah. louder and louder. Uh, but thank you very much for coming on, and uh, it's a pleasure. We'll get you on again. I'll see you in a week, and then yep. I'll see you in two weeks <laughs> at your house. You'll be fed up with them by the time yeah. you get to the end of the month. And you and Beth have to come as well. We'll have to try and make a plan. Have to check your calendar. <laughs> if anyone doesn't follow you already, more <laughs> clapping. Uh, what's the best way to find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Villerupa. Yep. No one's going to be able to spell that. No. Nope. Uh, but you are on our, uh, on our Instagram quite yeah. often. So we'll when this goes out, we'll put up a, a post as well. Yeah, do that. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the show. I know I kind of did a outro in the beginning, but uh, as usual, we like to give you the, the spiel of where you can find us and uh, where to download us because we have new listeners all the time and there's sometimes always a better way to listen to the show. Um, I read the other day that there's actually been a small delay on some shows on Spotify updating, which hopefully that won't happen to ours, but um, if the show is late on Spotify, that'll be the reason why. Uh, we are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify that I just mentioned, of course, iTunes, Acast, Podbean. Uh, TuneIn Radio. Cool. We are also on TuneIn Radio. For some reason, the artwork hasn't updated on there, and I've emailed them twice, and they just went on reply back. I don't think many people listen to it on TuneIn. No, very, very small number. But, I mean, th- we've got a huge range, and like we've said before, YouTube, that in the coming months, that's going to update. There will actually be... Uh, video there at some point as well if you want to get in contact with us it's podcast at paceproductionsuk.com we read all of the emails and we generally do reply to all of them and if we don't reply straight away just uh, hold off a few days uh, because often we are out and about and uh, a little bit busy but sometimes it can take a week but i always make sure i put them aside so that i do get to them and normally i do them all in one go so (laughs) we will get to them If you want to see any of our stuff or a little bit more about us, then head to all the W's, thepacebrothers.com, where you will find... what you find on there? It's just been updated. You'll find, uh, you'll obviously, find the shop. The shop. The bios. Yeah, the bios. the background. Um, and you'll find some films. Yes, you will. That we've made. And if you want to see more films that our production company has made, uh, then... I think there's actually a link that takes you to the, the production. Yeah, there is a production company. Um, because we made uh, a huge amount of films recently uh, that have gone out to some some kind of more educational ones that unless you're actually wanting to know about a topic, you probably wouldn't find any uh, very useful, uh, but some very good ones. I'm not sure if I've, I've mentioned them on the podcast before, but the um, uh, Scottish Venison, Venison yeah, Partnership. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Um, they have, it's actually, if you just, look for Scottish Venison as a channel on YouTube. You'll find three films that we made there, and they were specifically made... They're not growling how-tos, or gutting, I guess, if you're in the in the States, uh, uh, but they show how to minimize gross contamination, so contamination from gut spillage and, and feces in the pre- preparation of the carcasses. And the reason why they were made is that there was an E. coli outbreak at one of the processing plants maybe two or three years ago now, um, so a lot of organizations and game dealers came together to make these films. So 
there's some educational films for you. And I must actually put the links up on our website as well, uh, but they're on YouTube. And if you've not seen the... In fact, this would be a good opportunity if you have not seen the film, uh, the rugby film for like the launch of the Highland Stalker that we were involved in, which is talked about in the show, then head over to YouTube and just type in, I think, just Highland Stalker, and it's the third or fourth film that comes up. It is also on the Rigby YouTube channel. Um, and it's... Tw- how many minutes long? Uh, I think it's nine minutes. Nine long. minutes long. Yeah. So there you go. You can watch it nine minutes, and uh, and then you get a little bit more context about what we were talking about. We should have mentioned that at the start. Probably tell people the, to go and watch it. Probably yeah. at the start, but then again, some people split this in two. So yeah. you'll you'll enjoy it. Trust me. I'm just uh, looking at the table in front of us here, and I've noticed we I haven't read either of these yet. Our folks just came back from the states, and they dropped in two magazines to our office. One is Outdoor Life, which I am familiar with, and it's got I a think big picture of Jim Shockey in it. There. Oh yeah, that's I, the, that's a cool cover. Though. It is cool. Yeah, it's, that was that was last month. Jim in the mountains holding a. Um, I think it's a Nosler, I think. Yeah, rifle, hold, yeah, holding his rifle. It's very cool. Good picture. It is a good picture. But but I used to subscribe to that on my iPad, um, but this one that's sitting in front of me, ooh, it's got a really cool texture. It's the first time I picked yeah, it this up. This is one as well. They've yeah. got really nice textures to yeah. them. Uh, it's called Recoil, which I think is a little bit more um, probably self-defense type stuff. But the reason why I bring it up is I would be interested to know what you all like to read. Yeah, that would be quite interesting. Yeah, well, we've talked about Modern Huntsman, uh, and we mentioned it at the start. But what do you read in the kind of outdoor space? I mean, do it doesn't just anything? have to be yeah. It doesn't just have to be hunting magazines. I've started to read a lot of um, ecology papers and uh, and that kind of thing recently after having discussions with Charles Post, who's going to be on the podcast soon. Because um, um, so I, sub- I've been, I've been I subscribe to more non-hunting magazines. I, I've got four subscriptions to magazines, um, and one is National Geographic. Then there's men's fitness. I think it's men's health. No, men's health. I think it's men's health. What I really like about men's health isn't actually like the, the huge muscle things. It's actually don't lie. <laughs> they they actually do talk a lot of really cool stuff, especially about like endurance training, because they often have articles about you know really nails races around the world and mm. amazing locations. So it's quite a cool magazine. Then I also have Wired, and then there's another one as well, which is uh. Is it? You did subs- um, oh, subscribe got, to photography. I've got a photography one as well. Um, I um, I recently just cancelled my subscription. If you're into filmmaking, I just recently cancelled my subscription to Digital Filmmaker. It was like a only available through iTunes. It was like 24 quid a year or something. And I, I subscribed them for over a year, and every single one had uh, was about a zombie movie, and I just had enough of. of it's quite uh, staggering. We we've had the, we Daryl and I have had this discussion a couple of times. If you pick up a lot of filmmaking magazines, like off the shelf in the shops, there are so many people making zombie movies, and I just don't get <laughs> it because the story is always the same, and it just makes you wonder whether people have a lack of imagination. I've never thought to myself when I've woken up in the morning, you know what we need to do as a production company to make a zombie film. Maybe they. Maybe no one has done the angle of the zombie. The zombie like, hunter. How, how no? How does the zombie feel about being in the apocalypse? <laughs> I don't think. I don't from think the zombie's think point of view. Uh, for another life. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to the show. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Yeah.